I'm incredibly thankful. It's, it's kind of typical to get up here and thank the praise team, but music does some things that many times nothing else can, doesn't it? You hear praise music and the instruments and the voices and just the, the soul that comes out. And if you want to just hear the gospel, just listen to the lyrics of these songs. And I think there's, uh, there's such power in that that I think has been placed in you when you're born. And so just grateful for our musicians and the team that puts those things together and grateful for God to give us uh, so many incredible gifts to reveal himself to us. Uh, another gift that he gives is each other, and another gift that he gives is his word. And so today we're in the book of First John. We're walking through a series. And so if you guys are able, would you stand? And I'm going to read our passage of scripture. It's First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And by this we know that we have come to know him, him is Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Verse 7 says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You can be seated. Uh, if you have your Bibles, stay, stay in First John, stay in our passage. Uh, we'll kind of be bouncing back and forth a little bit, uh, but for the most part, we're going to stick right with uh, verses 3 through 11. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible has a, I think, a great introduction to the book of 1 John. Uh, listen to what he says when he is trying to give us the themes of what the author John is, is talking about. He says this, The basic Christian conviction is that God and love are intricately related. If we want to deal with God the right way, we have to learn to love the right way. If we want to love the right way, we have to deal with God the right way. So we hear a lot about God in our culture, and we hear a lot about love in our culture. And John is saying those two cannot be separated. He goes on to say that God is love. God is the essence of love. And so many times, uh, most people would not argue the fact that they desire to be loving people, uh, people don't argue with receiving love. Everybody knows love is a good thing, and they want that. Uh, our definitions of love differ a little bit, uh, but we all are attracted to love, and we're attracted to being loving. And so John is showing us that you must have and you must relate to God correctly if you want to love correctly. Uh, John, in, in this sense, and Ben mentioned this last week, is, is approaching, uh, the, the, uh, the, the author of the book of John is approaching the audience as a pastor. So he's a pastor of a church, and so he's communicating some, 
uh, concerns, he's communicating truth, and essentially what's been taking place is that there's some false teachers that have risen up, uh, a lot of people are walking away from Jesus, and so they're, they want to make up their own idea of God, and they want to make up their own idea of love. And if we look at the world around us, uh, we could all say that pretty strongly, couldn't we? That our culture desires to make up their idea of who God is and their idea of who love is. So many of us are, because of our upbringing, uh, because of the values that are placed in us, because of our personalities, because of what God has done in us, we're, we're kind of God-oriented first, and then others of us tend to be uh, love-oriented first. And so my desire is, if, if you tend to be a person that's God-oriented, um, obviously that sounds good, but that can very quickly turn into religion, a man-made religion. And how many religious people that do you know that don't love well? They, they focus on the rules, and they get incredibly dogmatic about their religious beliefs, and it is man-centered, and therefore it never goes anywhere. Uh, on the flip side, there's a lot of people who want to raise the flag of love, uh, to anybody and everybody, uh, but they have no understanding that what that means. They have no understanding that God is the one who infuses that. And so today, I want to impact that relationship a little bit, and we're going to look at how I think that's John's primary concern here, is that he is desiring to reestablish the reality that these two things, God and love, are united, and that these two things are realized through the person of Jesus Christ. And so regardless of what's going on, in his church or in his culture, his deep desire is the same as what I think the, the American church's desire should be, is to reestablish God and love through the person of Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with John, you have, you know, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John towards the end of the uh, New Testament, and then the Gospel of John, and you see little themes that he carries throughout all of his writings. And so one of them, John is... Uh, John is very personal and intimate with Jesus. As he writes, you get an understanding that he's a very, very close friend of Jesus. They have had incredible uh, relational interaction and experiences. And so a couple themes that, that we've discussed a little bit that you'll continue to hear is this idea of light and darkness. That John uses the idea of light uh, being in the truth and representing uh, true life representing life in God and being in the darkness, representing life lost or apart from God. And I think many of us know what it's like to feel lost in our life. And in fact, there's, there's plenty of people that you come to that you hear that, right? I just feel so lost. Not just in one decision or one moment, but in life in general. And so John uses this idea of light and darkness. He also focuses heavily on this idea of identity. Throughout his writings, he talks a ton about child of God, little children, calls you beloved. Over and over and over, he continues to unpack the relational component that we have with Almighty God. It's like he's longing for and, and yearning for us to understand that there is a personal relationship with God, as John shared with Jesus, that is very, very similar to a father and his child. And so as you read this, continue to think through all that he says in the context of that loving father-child relationship. Another thing that I think is important, when you read things uh, in our passage, it says if you hate your brother, you're a liar and you don't know God. Um, it continues later on in chapter 4, it says uh, if you sin, you don't know God. 
And so on, on the first read, we hear things like that, and it's like, whoa, uh, we're in trouble. I thought I knew God, but yet I've sinned. And so another thing to unpack that's important is most of the time, pretty typical in John's writings, at least in First, Second, and Third John, uh, when he makes these comments that are very, they sound on first reading very definitive, uh, the verb tense is typically this continual ongoing state. So if he says, if you sin, he's not necessarily saying one time. He's saying, if you have a ongoing continual practice of sin, then there's evidence that you don't know God. It's a little bit easier when he says things like hate your brother, right? Because that oftentimes isn't a one-time deal, but that's like a state of the heart and a state of mind. So it's a little bit easier to understand if there is a constant state of hating a brother, if there is a constant state of practicing sin, he's saying that is evidence that you truly do not know God as he is. And so you think about the things that you practice, whether it be an instrument daily over and over and over, or a sport, or any skill set that you practice over and over and over. You intentionally set yourself and your mind and your actions to something. For what purpose? To get better at it to cultivate something. So when John makes these comments, I don't, I don't want us to, to fear our salvation if we've been guilty of a sin. But when he makes these comments, we need to look at our heart and understand what he's saying is, you, a Christian, a born-again child of God, will not deliberately practice over and over and over sin with the intent of getting good at it. Two things that uh, pull out here today are the idea of relationship and obedience. And many times we want to focus on one or the other, but the author John and I think God is asking us to see those things hand in hand. Relationship and obedience. A couple phrases that are uh, in our piece of scripture is, it says know him. It says be in him multiple times. It says abide in him. And this word know essentially means to have a personal experience with something. So we have an intellectual knowledge, and many times that's where things start, right? But then you move into personal experiences with a person, personal experiences uh, with material, and in this case, personal experiences with God. So John is saying, whoever says, I know him, will keep his commandments. If you say, I know him, and don't keep his commandments, you don't truly know him. And so our desire, my desire, is that each of us would spend time getting to know God on a personal level. I had a moment, a season in my life, where I watched two men who were fairly close to me uh, contract cancer and begin the dying process. And one man, I believe, was born again, Christian, but didn't spend time seeking the face of God. Didn't spend time having personal experiences with God. And so as he tried to navigate his approaching death, there was tremendous fear, there was tremendous doubt. Uh, the peace of God did not rule his heart on a consistent basis. And the other man, and it was very, very similar time frame. Uh, their bodies were shutting down in a similar way. 
he had cultivated knowing God. He had placed himself in front of God as a child and allowed the Father to love him over and over and over. He practiced a deep knowledge of God. And as he faced his mortality of his earth suit, he had tremendous peace. He was overwhelmed with the goodness of God in his life. And so both of them were children of God. Both of them were in right standing with God in the legal sense. I believe both of them are in the presence of God today. But to engage God in a personal way as a son would a father changes the effect that this world has on you, changes how you approach life and death. And as we're talking about today, it changes the way that you love people. I think one of the only ways that we can express our love for God is in obedience. There's plenty of lip service we can give. But I think one of the only ways we truly express that I trust you, I know you, is we do what he says. A while back, Boomer made a comment. He says, obedience is our response to what God has done in the context of a loving relationship. Obedience is my response to what God has done in the context of that loving relationship. You think about when I ask my son or my daughter to do something, if they truly believe that I'm for them, if they truly believe that I know best, if they believe that there is no end to my love, that I am always on their side, what's their natural response? Obedience. If they question any of those things, that's when you're going to see doubt, that's when you're going to see going our own way, that's when you're going to see disobedience. A good parent, whether they're enacting discipline or whether they're cheering you on with affirmation, is always for their son or their daughter. And so if we can begin to see God and ourselves in this light at all times, I think obedience and commands begin to fall in place. You guys have been to youth sporting events, right? You ever have those games where it seems like the parents on the sideline have a much stronger and deeper will to win than the kids on the field? (laughs) Where you can just feel this desire for victory up and down the sideline. Just come on. They're like pulling their kids when little Johnny's out there just kind of walking around. They, are, they want victory for their kids more than their kids do. And in a lot of ways, I think that's how God feels about me. He longs for my victory in life. So my obedience is simply acknowledging and recognizing and responding to that. In Ephesians, it says, uh, we'll come back to this. In Ephesians 2, my paraphrase, it says, uh, you have been saved by grace for the purpose of good works. And the order of that is incredibly important. That our salvation, our right standing, becoming a child of God is a complete gift. I had nothing to do with the fact that that's my father. Nothing. That was a gift given to me. But what I do in the context of that reality, I have something to do with. 
So understanding that we become a child of God by grace and grace alone, but it's meant to do something. It's meant to go somewhere. It's for the purpose of good works. Some of you have heard me say before, I try to teach my kid that, uh, kids that, that Christ gave his life for us in order to give his life to us so that he could live his life through us. The for us is the cross and Jesus' death. The to us is the resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But there's a purpose to that. The purpose is obedience. The purpose is to express himself through these broken vessels. The difference between striving to be God's child and just receiving that you're God's child and then living in the power of that new identity. If you hear my son tell a joke and it sounds something very similar to me, that doesn't make him my child, does it? No, but it might be, he got that joke from his dad, I've heard him tell that. It's evidence that he's my child. And so in 1 John, he's continually showing us that if you are born of God, there will be evidences in your life. And the primary evidence is love. There's a couple verses that I think the, the language is interesting. If you look at verse 5, it says, Whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. That was interesting to me. What does it mean that the love of God is perfected in us? We know that God loves perfectly, and so it's not that his love is imperfect in some way. But I believe what John is saying is that when we are a man or a woman that continues to carry out the commands of God, that lives by his word, that expresses his truth and his reality to the world, it is evidence that the love of God is perfecting, perfected in us, meaning a couple things. One, we have learned to come to believe that God loves us perfectly. But two, if you'll remember when Jesus was on earth, he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. He says, the things that you've seen me do, you all will do when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes to you. So I think one of the things this is saying is that it is bringing the love of God out in full measure. So God's intent was to pour his love onto me. And for that, remember that whole idea of paying it forward? For his love to be poured out onto me, but yet it's not fully completed in what his ultimate desire is. It's for me to fully receive that and then pour that out onto others, to pay it forward. So if the love of God is perfected in us, we might say that it's, it's, it's come full circle. That the gospel is meant to go somewhere. And I believe First John is continually showing us that. You realize love is the only thing that you give away and you still possess? It's the only thing that you can fully give away all the days of your life. And if you are in Christ, you still possess the fullness of it. Love is like that and God is like that because God is the essence of love and love is the essence of God. First, or 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, The love of Christ compels us Those who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died for them 
and was raised to the dead. Again, this isn't to strive to earn his love or to become his child, but it's to recognize and understand who you are in Christ and as a result of your new identity and your new birth, as a deep understanding and having personal experience that God truly is in you over and over and over, it says, in you. As a result of that, that is our motivator to express that. It's what naturally happens. Christians express Christ. Uh, My brother-in-law was in his basement. He's got three girls. Two of them were sitting in the kitchen table upstairs. And he started walking up the stairs and he heard this dialogue that seemed quite serious. And so he stopped at the stairs and he just listened. He didn't want to interrupt a moment. And uh, the older sister was preaching to her younger sister, but in a way that was affirming, in a way that says, this is who you are. Remember who you are. Guard yourself against this. Guard yourself against that. There was challenge. There was direction. There was protection. The, The older sister was out of love, passing this on, to her younger sister. How do you think the father's heart felt in that moment? So proud. Because all that he had poured into her was not, it would be enough to stay there, but that's not the fullness of. That's meant to be poured out onto other people. And so to have the love of God perfected, to reach its full measure means there is movement to the gospel. There is movement to the love of God. A couple other confusing pieces of our scripture. It could be confusing. John talks about, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. I believe this old commandment is very likely this idea of we've always been called to love people. We've always been called to love from the first time that God placed man on earth, from the first time that he began to write uh, his law in his book and transfuse that to the world. The the message has always been to love God and love people. Uh, What's Micah say? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before your God. But then he says, at the same time, it's a new commandment because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John, remember, is the same author in the gospel that says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and the Word was the light of men. And so he's already referring to this idea that Jesus is the light. The light is already shining. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. John 1, 4 and 5. John 8, 12, Jesus then says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I think what John is showing us here is in order to walk in love, in order to fulfill the old commandment of love, it's essential that we recognize that the kingdom of God has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. Our world today, our culture today, our religions today try to elevate love and remove Jesus. And once again, 
this is what it looks like to walk in darkness. You don't know where you're at. You're lost. And so as many efforts as we put forth to be kind to people, to love people, if you remove Jesus Christ from the equation, you will wind up stumbling like a blind man. And you watch people live out their lives, and there's litmus tests to those who truly know God and those who do not. Those who truly know God and spend time receiving his love and keeping their eyes focused on who he is and who he has made them love well. The negative side, he says, again, if you hate your brother, you are blind and in the darkness. Anybody ever had the experience in the middle of the night, you're walking maybe to the bathroom? Guys, you go in there and you think you're going to do this without the light on, and then you realize maybe this isn't a good idea, and you flick the light on, and you're totally misaligned. (laughs) That's what it looks like to walk in the darkness. So the light shines on reality. The, the toilet bowl did not change. Reality, truth didn't change. You were just misaligned because you couldn't see. God is the same. God is constant. Love is eternal. To enter into the light, we must allow Jesus to show us what right and what wrong is. What truth and what lie is. What love is is most of the time when you think of a broken relationship hating your brother says that you don't know god most of the time that usually comes from this idea that i am right and you are wrong think of all the broken relationships that you experience there's a conflict right many times it's i'm right you're wrong and if we are the gods of our own reality if we are the ones who get to decide right and wrong instead of simply coming underneath what God says, the guarantee is misalignment in relationships. So what John is saying is until you come to humble yourself under God's authority in your life, you will misalign your relationships and there will be brokenness. There will be hatred. There will be abuse. There will be opposition. So he's saying those are evidences of not knowing God. A couple questions to make this pretty personal. What do you do with this? So we all kind of fall in some different camps, but it's very easy if you are assured of your salvation and you are confident that you know God, that you are in him, that you abide in him. It's very easy to take a message like this and say, okay, now I have a tool to assess and evaluate other people. And I don't think that's the point. Or, the idea of love sounds good to you, but you're not real sure about God. The idea of expressing love and being a good person sounds good to you. But you've always wondered where to place God in this. And so the first question is, do you know him? Are you in him? Scripture is very, very, very clear. We sang about it today. I need you how I need you. Every hour I need you. Coming to the realization that you are desperate for God. That you are desperate for salvation. 
The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. The idea of knowing you need rescued and begging Jesus to be that Savior, it says he will respond. And when that happens, you come into a personal knowledge of God. You experience him, and then you are fully equipped to become what you were born to be, a vessel of love. The next question is, do you know your new identity? And I think this is one of the primary messages for us as born-again believers to take from 1 John. Is that we may have entered into salvation and understand that. But we will not be vessels and vehicles of his love if we're trying to pretend or act like good Christians. Remember when Lazarus came forth from the grave, he comes from death to life, and he walks out of the grave, and the first thing Jesus says is, take off his burial clothes. Why? Because he's not dead anymore. Spend time pursuing God and his word so you discover who you truly are. That God reached down into the deepest part of your heart and transformed you into a holy, beloved child. When the Abraham Lincoln abolished slavery in this country, it's a lot of talk about segregation, racism right now in our country. When Abraham Lincoln abolished slavery, it was said that a reporter went down to one of the slave plantations in the Deep South, and he walked up to a, a group of black slaves, and he said, Tell me what you think about Abraham Lincoln. This guy freed you. And he said, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, and I don't know nothing about freedom. Legally, this man was free. But there hadn't been enough time or even enough understanding of what that meant for him. So though legally he was free, he did not live free. How many Christians are there? Because we don't understand that God has transformed the deepest part of who we are. We are new creations. You are a child of God. You are beloved. The more we come to get our eyes on the goodness of God and what he has done for us, you will be a vehicle of love. I want to finish with this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Talked about it a bit earlier, but listen to this. And I don't think you can spend enough time in these two verses. If there was two verses that I think you could shape much of your doctrine by, it is this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, that's identity, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God and love are intricately related. You can't get right with one without getting right with the other. So the action step is continue to pursue God and watch love flow through you. Pray with me.
Father, your word says that we love because you first loved us. We read today that the love of Christ compels us, that it moves us. First, we praise you and we thank you for making it possible to be in right relationship with the Creator God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We recognize and acknowledge that we can do nothing to earn that love or to get right with you on our own works. But God, we also thank you as a result of that, that you have paved the way for the Holy Spirit to make its home deep within us. That we now have the capacity and ability to get right with each other. And so I pray that the rhythms of our life and the the habits of our life would simply express how good you are to us and are giving that away to others. It's in Christ's name we pray.